0: You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. This is a special episode of Deal Talk with 7MA, featuring a panel discussion that was recorded as part of our annual Access Conference. Please listen along as Trip Davis, a partner at 7 Mile Advisors, speaks with three business owners who recently completed a successful sale of their business.
1: Good morning to all. Welcome to Access 2021. Uh, my name is Trip Davis. I'm one of the founding partners of Seven Mile and I'm joined by an esteemed group this morning uh, for a panel to discuss navigating M&A as a business owner or operator. With us today is David Lewis, founder, CEO of DemandGen, now a partner of BDO Digital. Andy Fay, uh, chief revenue officer of Source, now a sub of Energizer. And George Young, Founder, CEO, and now Global Managing Director of Calypso, uh, now a part of Rockwell Automation. Um, I'd love to take just a few moments and allow each of you to individually uh, introduce yourselves, and then we'll dive into the content of the panel today. David, why don't you start things off?
2: Sure. Thanks, Tripp. Uh, again, David Lewis. I founded a company called DemandGen International back in 2007, so a little over 14 years ago. And uh, we provide professional services primarily to uh, marketing groups, uh, me to enterprise size organizations that are embarking on uh, digital marketing. So we partner with folks like Adobe Salesforce and many other technology companies to implement the marketing systems for, you know, companies mainly in tech, financial services, healthcare, but many different industries. Anyway, we were on that journey for, as I said, about 14 years and uh, brought partnership with uh, Seven Mile at roughly a year ago almost to the day. And we completed our transaction in mid March uh, of this year.
3: Great. Thanks, David. Andy. Yeah, I'm Andy Faye, Senior VP of Business Development here now at Energizer at uh, Innovasource, which is the division of that. With Innovasource, we develop and Um, make EPA-registered disinfectants, cleaning products, degreasers, all types of liquid formulations. Um, Obviously, with our EPA-registered disinfectants, we've had a busy couple of years. And so um, Energizer was very interested in partnering with a group that had some newer technology. We use hydrogen peroxide as our active uh, ingredient with our disinfectant. And so we started work with 7 Mile, early in 2020, and we finalized the transaction with Energizer December 1st, 2020. So it's been um, just over 10 months, 10 or 11 months since that's happened. So um, I look forward to working with everyone and, and talking
1: through what our experiences have been. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate that. George.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm George Young. I started my career Uh, with BF Goodrich, then I was a a partner with Deloitte Consulting in 2004, uh, together with a co-founder, I started a a firm called Calypso. And our mission was to kind of transform the way companies do product development, engineering, innovation. And eventually we started moving into manufacturing. Um, So, and as things evolved since 2004, we're kind of specialists in enabling what we call the digital thread, which is you know, essentially the digital value chain. So um, we uh, got our transaction done in May of 2020, and uh, Calypso is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Rockwell Automation. I still run it. Um, and one of the interesting things about our experience is that we brought the firm to market Twice, so once in 2015 with somebody not named Seven Mile, and then uh, successfully recently with with
1: Seven Mile. George, thank you for that. Um, appreciate uh, Appreciate the, the the summary and the, and the nod. So, look for those of you that are not familiar with Access. Um, this is an annual event that we at Seven Mile host uh, for our clients, our prospects, our friends. Um, really to provide an inside look to the active world of M&A through the lens of private equity, strategic buyers, you know, market and valuation drivers, and all of the things surrounding that ecosystem. Today's conversation is a little bit different. Uh, today, we've assembled a panel of sellers, and not just any sellers. Uh, these are founders, partners, leaders, and folks that successfully navigated uh, an exit uh, during the peak of COVID. Um, George in particular, um, I'll never forget back in March and April of 2020, as we were still working to get that one done. Uh, And so we'll we'll touch on a few uh, points that that they experienced, strategic points, operational points, transactional points, and emotional ones. You know, that are all part of this transaction cycle so you know as the audience please enjoy we hope this is a conversational uh discussion uh, please feel free uh to share questions through the chat um, we'll address those towards the end of the panel and um with that said uh, we're gonna dive on in and so so guys i i've i've worked with two of you on the sell side and currently work with um, one of your firms on the buy side—it's um, a—it's it, it, a—it's a unique group of companies. All three of you are transforming the industries that you serve, some through uh, you know, th- some through digital means and some through chemical means. Um, George, why don't we start with you since I picked on you just a moment ago? Um, when 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 you and your partner were were preparing to go back to market and um and began a dialogue to you know with us what what were some of the things that were in the back of your mind fears you know potential challenges you know what what made you reluctant um or or, or led to a potential reluctance in re-engaging in a in a in an exit process
4: okay well i mean we weren't reluctant because we knew in order, you know, everything's digital. The the market's going crazy. Early in our existence, we missed a big trend. We we tried to do it ourselves, and we were a private partnership. We didn't have the capital as a private partnership to grow to meet the market expansion of something called product lifecycle management technology into the life sciences and CPG industries, um, and so as digital really hit, uh, you know, this notion of digital thread, digital enablement of product development, engineering, manufacturing, I knew, you know, from past experience, I needed to grow more quickly. So it was no doubt, there was no reluctance to go to market. Now, we had fears, because as I mentioned in my intro, the first time in 2015, that we went to market, we were not successful, we got to the 12th hour with a strategic acquirer, and it fell through literally as I was in front of my partner group announcing the deal. The acquisitor called and said, we aren't going to do the deal. The board rejected it. So that is a traumatic moment because you have to like keep the firm together. That's a moment when everything could you know, potentially, everything that, that we had done for 11 years could have gone to hell. So, Going back, I guess the fear, the thing was, there was no option other than to be successful. You couldn't fail twice. If you go out on the market twice and you're unsuccessful, then you're yesterday's, you know, then you're damaged goods and you're probably not going to get it done. So that was, I would say, there was no reluctance. There was fear in the sense that it was high stakes. I mean, you and I work together, so you know that I'm not really a fearful type. But you know, I knew what the I knew what the stakes
1: were. Understood. Understood. Yeah, the uh, the front man of a punk rock band is usually not the fearful type. That said, um, it is a challenging environment, and and really, you know, um, you know, a, a a unique experience for for most. Andy, I know that um, that that when we first started working with you, the company went through a. Significant transformation as we were in market, as you and your partners prepared to bring us on board and, and ultimately, you know, pursue uh, a transaction strategy. What you know, what what was in the back of your mind on the difference between strategic buyers and private equity?
3: Yeah, so we uh, actually entertained offers from both, uh, thanks to you and your team's work, um, and we really wanted to make sure that. If it was a strategic buyer, that it made sense for us um, personally with our with the partners, but as well with all of our employees and and then with our customers too. So we we wanted to make sure that if we did something strategic, it didn't have any negative impact on our existing customer base and all the growth that we had because of COVID-19 and and our our growth with our EPA registrations and our disinfectants. So, so we did a lot of work um, to make sure that personally we all were happy with where that deal was. But the people and all the employees uh, benefited from that as well, mm-hmm. um, immediately and long term. So we did some things up front when the deal happened, so that it was a beneficial thing for every employee. But we also did things long term with great benefits and 401k and all the things that come. From that large company so so that was really good but one of the other things that we were really also concerned about was we had a lot of history with some other investors and a lot of things i kind of liken it to when you're getting ready to sell your house and the buyers are more concerned with looking in your in your closets than what the curb appeal is we needed to make sure that that all the stuff in the back of the closets were all really well organized and cleaned and and that's something that you and your group did a tremendous job to make sure that when we had potential buyers coming to look and opening up the book. That everything made sense and everything was in its right place, so that the transaction could happen without a 11th hour hey what
1: what is this, and so so that's that really helped us a lot. Uh, great great perspective great perspective and, and also a, a, a good bridge. To David, David is, you know, founder and, and and CEO or former CEO and now, you know, partner overseeing a, a human capital business, right? A, a people-based business providing, you know, solutions to to customers around the world. Employees are key to you know your everyday, right? The uh, the the assets right up and down the elevator, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of your biggest concerns as it related to key employees and making sure they were taken care of and making sure they stayed on board and got behind you know what you and your what you and your partners were up to.
2: Yeah, it's a great great question around the the employee side of it because when you when you enter into this process, you're really thinking about, you know, the business, the market, the shareholders and your clients, and of course you're thinking about, you know, the the employees, but to your point trip like, you know, how are the key employees going to react because if you're in a people business and uh, you know, everybody's not on board with where you're going. And and then yet you can't disclose too early uh, what you're it, it's a it's a very interesting uh, game that goes through your head. So I, I brought uh, a couple of my leadership team members into the fold, partly because they were going to be part of the process of going through uh, and presenting the business to potential buyers. And then when we got to a place where we felt it was really time to. Uh, expand that to the rest of the leadership team. Uh, we talked to them once we were really in a definitive agreement uh, place. And that was, uh, boy, a range of emotions from everybody. Some people didn't see it coming uh, and were quite surprised by it. Others, um, you know, got got a sense of, and now everything made made sense on certain questions and things that we were doing. And then there was the employee base. And I can tell you, you know, if, if there's one thing that I would say to any owner or seller The day the transaction closes, maybe that's your day to celebrate and we could talk about what that actually feels like. But from every second, every minute forward, it has got to be all about your employees and all about your clients, because it is so it's such a huge change. And even though it may be a phenomenal change, people react to change very differently. So you really have to be well prepared to excite the organization about the why, you know, starting with the why. But get through that very quickly and, and get to what it means to them, because that's that's where they're thinking in about, you know, two minutes after you start with the why. And I remember writing out all my bullet points for a trip. And, and I'm still to this day, it's, you know, that was March. We're now in October and I'm still working through employee feelings and sentiments, mostly around the growth acceleration that has come, uh, mm-hmm. phenomenal growth. And now they're like, wow, you, you said this was going to happen. Now this is happening. I'm not sure we're completely prepared for, you know, the the hockey stick growth.
1: Uh, Great, great perspective. Great perspective. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to know, you know, how things are going to change, but making sure that you're putting your employees and your team and their best interests in front of whatever that outcome is, is usually a good place to start.
2: Yeah. George, you mentioned the entire um, leadership team, but we did have some attrition. You know, some probably naturally happening in the market these days, but fortunately sure. the entire leadership team stayed stayed, and moving forward.
1: Well, it, it, it certainly is a unique environment, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, an unprecedented war for talent. Um, but before we got to this point in the COVID cycle, um, you know, there were, there were many months of uncertainty prior. George, you mentioned having run a process back in 2015 and then, you know, working with us to come back to market. And I remember vividly when we were preparing to close a transaction uh, on March 31st of 2021. And just a few weeks prior to that, um, you know, a monkey wrench was thrown into the marketplace. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, unexpected things that pop up during a transaction process and ultimately, you know, how how you were able to navigate those?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, we had the first attempt was not successful and so lessons learned from that were like Andy was talking about having the closets completely well organized i mean they're going to definitely look into every closet and a little thing can become a big thing that was that was one thing that that we learned and the other thing is in the first go round, I think our aperture, what we were looking at, scan our our realm of possibilities, we limited too much. I think my co-founder and I said, "Well, you know, we think we know where this ought to go, and um, you should be open to a wide aperture of of possibilities. Consider things that might, at first glance, even seem a little silly." We wound up we wound up in a home that makes complete sense, but might not have made sense to us. You know, because our, our we were mm-hmm. focused on a strategic buyer from the consulting industry the first time around. And I think that that was a little bit naive. We were we were too narrowly focused. That limited our options. We also committed too early mm-hmm. in the process. I think one of the things that you helped us do was let's not go exclusive, let's keep this thing open, let's create the market, let's, you know, let's look at all the possibilities. But then the other thing you're talking about, I mean, this is like, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I, in February, I hadn't had a vacation in a long time. So in February, I told my wife, I said, hey, this deal is done. We're going to go on vacation for two weeks. So we went on vacation at the end of February, and I got back on March 18th. And that was when the whole COVID thing was really going. When I was on vacation, I said, to her which i maybe you know shouldn't have said but i said ah you know this deal's done the only thing that could you know nix it is a real black swan and then all of a sudden ah, so it was you there's there's no bigger black swan than covid because while i was there during the second week you know they started closing things my clients started postponing projects i went from 100% utilization of staff to about 45% I got back, literally, I walked in the door and I got a phone call from our acquirer to senior vice president saying, George, we're going to push the acquisition by a month now. And they tell me why they're going to do it. We're going to, you know, they said, we want to do the announcement commensurate with the announcement of another acquisition. We want to close at the end of April. We want to make the announcement May 1st because our George where was
1: that other acquisition located at the time
4: in and it was in northern italy which was the heart right. of if you remember that that time was like northern italy was totally shut down by covid so uh you know and having failed once before definitely those were some anxious anxious times um but what we what i noticed about i think it was april 10th i noticed that they got a uh, an enhanced credit facility, which was equal to the purchase price of Calypso and this other Italian firm. So on April 10th, I was like, okay, they're going to do it. Now Now I understand it. But, you know, that was a tough thing because, you know, what we did too, because we had failed once before, the second time we went to market, we adopted a policy with our People of being radically transparent. They knew about as much as I mean. If I, I think you would agree, Trip, right? I mean, it was radically transparent. Everybody oh, yeah. knew what was happening, and so when it got pushed, I told people it got pushed, and there were a lot of people who thought, "Oh, this, you know, it's not going to happen. It's COVID. They're they're taking another month, and it's going to fall through because." By that time, you know, we had 20, I think it was 27% of our top line vanished in a month.
1: Well, it, it was a blessing and the right partner for you and your team at that time. It was.
4: It was. D- David. It happened. It, it happened. And despite that that hole in the top line, I'm happy to say that uh we got our first earn out. So we we, we
1: built it back and yeah. more. D- David, how about you? What um what what are what what is a thing or two that you wish you'd been prepared for that came from the process, and even though you thought you were ready, it it just caught you by surprise.
2: I mean, my my immediate reaction is I I wasn't surprised in the process, and I really credit the the seven ma team, you know, that that worked with us on it. Uh, I I had been through an acquisition before, but I wasn't the owner or founder. And so I had a different role in that. So this was my first time and, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties. Uh, I didn't want to f this up, you know, like I, I knew that this could be, uh, you know, my, my big opus in terms of my career and I wanted it to go very, very well. You got COVID, uh, you got, and there's some great questions coming in. You got, you know, is it the right time? What makes it the right time? What's the process gonna look like? Are we prepared for this? Um, you know, is our house in order? Is the revenue going in the right direction the gross margins? What's the market like? All this stuff is, mm-hmm. is swimming in your head uh, as an owner and you wanna, you wanna make sure you're, you're really doing the business, your clients and your employees justice. And so the thing that I got the most value from with 7MA, besides having 22 people make offers on the business, was having a coach. Was you guys saying, "Look, this is what the process looks like from start to finish. This is when you're not going to feel very good." You know, like there was a lot of expectation setting. Like this is a hard part for you. This is going to be a really fun time, uh, and this is what it's going to you know feel like for someone to look in every nook and cranny of your business. So you guys very well prepared me for every single meeting and what the process was going to look like and you know, I, I testament to my COO and and the rest of my crew, but mainly our our COO, we had our house in order. So we went through the diligence process very, very quickly. Someone asked a question, look, Jeff Petowitz was asking, you know, what it would it take to build value having recurring revenue and knowing that that was going to be a big part of the conversation, having predictable revenue and a, and a history of that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I credit you guys for a very, uh, easy process as i look back but but certainly an emotional one maybe maybe we'll get to that part
1: yeah yeah that's, that's that's great insight andy you referenced having both um private equity and strategic alternatives uh in the process what uh pluses and minuses did you you know did you take from from those alternatives and yeah you know what ultimately led to the decision to go with energizer
3: yeah, the private equity group, we had a great offer from them. We were excited about that opportunity. Uh, they really wanted to focus on the EPA registered disinfectants. And we knew that COVID-19 had really pushed those products and sales had really grown through the roof. Uh, but we didn't know how long that would last. And with the strategic partnership with the Energizer group, they own uh, Armor All and uh, several other brands, STP and Lexol and California sense. So all of these other things that tied into our degreasers and our odor control technology and all of these other things beyond just the disinfectant. So we knew that strategically that would help us in the long term. We partnering with them, brought a customer to us with all of those other brands. And so it allowed us to develop and work on all these new technologies And have the backbone of a large firm with all of the work on the intellectual property and doing all these new patents and all of that. So that was phenomenal for us, uh, as well as having the core and the base of the EPA registration. So, so that really helped us a lot to be able to build that value and continue to to build on that. Jeff asked a question about what we did to build value in our firm, and we did a lot of work on the early life to protect our technology and to build either intellectual property. Um, so it was protected that way. We did a lot of work with licensing and doing exclusivity with certain brands or or uh, retailers and certain channels of trade to really build and have um, uh, some guaranteed growth for those. Or also doing the EPA registered products um, there's a, a high level of entry to get into that type of product. It can take a couple of years and a couple of million dollars to, to go through that process. But once you're on the other side and you offer something like that to partners, that allows them to do that much easier and quicker rather than that large cost of entry. So we did a lot of that work on the IP side to be able to do that but one of the big things we really wanted to do was have a strategic partner who wanted to focus on that as well as all of the other technologies, not just one thing, because we knew as soon as things really go up, they're gonna come back down. And and we have seen that with COVID and with some of the product sales, but it's nice
1: to have all the other technologies we have to really focus on. Uh, Great, great points. Thanks for sharing that insight. David, you know, you, you joined with a relatively logical professional service provider buyer, right? Where you were helping them bridge into an area that that they didn't have much traction in previously. How, you know, wh- where have you found the biggest value uh, that BDO and you know your strategic buyer brought to you post transaction? How, how has that evolved?
2: Yeah, well, I should say, as I mentioned before, you know, we had we had two 200- hundred companies do NDAs with us. Uh, and I didn't go into the process expecting whether we would go down the private equity route or the strategic route. I really was open to both. At least I thought I was, you know, you you really do some soul searching when you, when you have people at the table. So when we had 22 offers, the majority of them were private equity. There were about five strategics and what made sense to me, like it was very clear that I, wanted a platform for the business that would catapult our growth. We had been client funded. And even though we had recurring revenue in the form of managed services, we, you know, struggled to break this 10 million mark in revenue. And as we broke that, you're kind of like, wow, how are we going to get to the next level? And I'm, I'm pinching myself this year because had we not sold, we would be in trouble. We, I would be very concerned about our future when we joined BDO the answer to your question is you know there are a 2 billion dollar business the the BDO digital group is about 120 million dollar business so about 500 people and and we're we're in addition to that specific group so BDO is rooted in tax and and assurance but BDO digital is about digital services and they were focused on the CIO and the CTO so we bring in the office of the CMO and the CRO so it was It was basically like we're joining a startup in a very well-established company who has 30 people in the HR department for recruiting, who has onboarding, who has training, who has all the infrastructure and scale that we didn't have to like build all that stuff. So it was like missing piece to the puzzle, check, all the infrastructure, capital we need to grow. And I think when we joined them in March, we were around 60-ish people. And now we're over a hundred people, you know, in in the right. height of COVID. And and the reason I I'm thanking, you know, the timing of it is the employee market is insane from a cost perspective. And I don't know if we could have stomached all the the monies that we now need to pay to recruit and hire the people that we need. I, you know, given our our gross margins before, I just I feel very blessed on our on our timing because we're able to hire the people, but we're also able to afford the people that we need to scale.
1: That's great insight. And and real quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to George, and then we'll um, move into some questions from the audience. George, you mentioned Rockwell Automation not being a an obvious buyer uh, when we began the process. How have you communicated, or what what what's led to the communication effort with your clients as as you shared with them the the plan to join forces with Rockwell, recognizing that you know there was some competition with other players uh, particularly in their manufacturing facilities.
4: Yeah, well the you know it wasn't obvious when we started the process but I will say that once we started talking it was really obvious and then when we did the transaction you know I got a lot of reactions from our clients where they said yeah this is obvious this is this because again we we were focused on we kind of owned the transfer digital transformation space in product development, innovation and engineering. And Rockwell is leader their leaders in industrial automation and manufacturing. So you know you're you're connecting the front part of product development and engineering into the manufacturing realm. And so that was what made a lot of sense once we started unpacking it and it really has made a, our, our clients have gotten it immediately. We keep the brand, so we still have the brand. We're a wholly owned subsidiary within Rockwell, but now, you know, we're totally integrated in into everything they do. And Rockwell, I mean, I I just didn't know because I again I started my career in the chemical industry. So I knew Rockwell Automation as a provider of hardware, PLCs, control panels for running a plant, because at one point I was a plant manager. But they are now, you know, Rockwell is now pretty much equally. Distributed between software products, hardware products, mm-hmm. and services. So we fit really nicely into that services because we're trying to be a digital platform for companies that make stuff.
1: No, I, I appreciate that insight. And there's there's a, a specific question from the audience for you. So I thought we may just continue the dialogue. Earlier, you mentioned um, you know level of transparency um, that you had with your team and one of the questions says you know can you can you speak or can each of you speak to the levels of transparency provided your team during the m a process um you know when did you go to your senior team and you know what did you message and and how did that unfold
4: yeah well i mean because of the fact that we had been unsuccessful the first time and we were reasonably transparent because i said i was we're, we, we have this thing called the culture of candor. That's one of our core values as Calypso. So I've always been very open with the entire team. But um, especially in this case, we had the senior team involved. They didn't go to the initial meetings and things, but they were involved in progress reports, you know, on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. They knew what was going on all the time and we talked to the firm about it on a monthly basis and again we didn't you know say hey we like this firm we don't like this firm we just let them know what was going on what the options were we dove into what are the implications of a strategic acquirer versus taking on debt versus taking on you know joining a PE firm we 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 were just very open about it because we wanted to keep them part of the process I didn't want to lose, when we
1: completed the transaction, I didn't want to lose people. Great perspective. David, is there anything you'd add to that? How, how did you communicate with your senior team and, and broader team over, over the term of the process?
2: Yeah, we, we run a transparent culture, but that that was walled off. We were not transparent with this process or we initiated I was I was heavily advised by 7MA as well as others that not to share it with the leadership team. And, and the re- main reasons were is the distractions that it would cause um, in the organization, that it would be very difficult to contain. Again, we were 60 plus people, difficult to contain and maybe leak out to clients or competitors uh, or even our partners. So we, we had a very big wall around the communication and our head of finance, our COO, myself and the other founder were the only original four who knew, and we didn't bring um, others into the fold until we were having enough meetings going on that our head of HR and our office manager would would pick up. And so we had to bring them into the fold and explain to them uh, the importance of confidentiality around this, <clears throat> which they held. And then uh, we didn't go beyond that. It was a very small group.
1: Understood, Andy. As we as we come upon the final few minutes of the conversation today, when you look back on the process and look back through, you know the 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 the, the different alternatives and the, the different buyers we talked with and the changes in the marketplace and the dynamics between your partners, you know wh- what's what's one piece of advice you'd share with the audience as to, you know, as as they contemplate embarking on, um, you know, either a capital raise or or a sell side process here over the next year or two.
3: Yeah, you know, I I think it's important to um, trust your gut. Um, there's there's going to be like David said, you might have several offers, and that's when you really need to think about what it means for you personally and your executive team, but for your company and your employees and your clients overall. At the end of the process, and try to envision what that's going to be like. Um, and then move forward with the best decision. It might not be the most financially lucrative out of the gate, but it might be the best decision for all of those factors involved. And also try to do things very methodically and not to rough things. You don't wanna have somebody come in and make a lot of changes quickly because change is inevitable in life, but for people and lots of times employees in business, Change needs to be taken in bite-sized pieces. If it's, if it's shoved down their throat in huge chunks, it's going to be really hard for some people to swallow. Some people really don't like change. So we need to make sure that all of the initial changes up front are kind of uh, low-lying operational things that are maybe how the phone system works or how IT or your, your computer data backup, you know, things like that and then make changes bigger as time goes on and we really focused on making all of the initial things very positive you're going to have a better 401k you're going to have these new medical benefits you're you're uh, going to have a longer um vacation time and all of these types of things so that as they think about all the changes that are coming everything initially is always very positive and so if everything begins positive if things happen later, they've already got a very positive feeling about everything that's happened. It also is very helpful when uh, all the people involved get a nice bonus on that day. So, so that's always, uh, uh, money always helps. But um, at the end of it, people wanna have some consistency and they wanna have uh, the knowledge that that job exists in the future. And they need to understand that they're vital in that role. Another company coming in, is not buying just the business, they're buying that personnel and those relationships that they have and the work and experience that they have. And so a company coming in doesn't want to just come in and change everything because that's not the right way for them to make uh, the growth they want to make for the future. So um, I I think that's probably the best advice I would have.
1: Great, great parting thought. Uh, To David, Andy, George, Uh, Thank you for your candid advice today. We appreciate the perspective Uh, to the Seven Mile team. Thanks for making this happen. And to the audience joining us, we hope this was helpful. Please join us in upcoming events as well. Uh, I know there are more panels and speakers as the day unfolds. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business.